UCB Life Issues. Marriage is often seen as the ultimate life goal, particularly within the church. But what about people who are grappling with their singleness? People who are divorced or maybe would rather remain single. Are we living a second-rate life? Have we missed out on God's blessings? Jesus was single. So was Paul and many other disciples and followers of Jesus. People that God used, we read about in the Bible. So why do we pedestal marriage? How can we live a fulfilled single life, even with a desire for marriage? My guest for this week's Life Issues podcast is Lauren Windle, journalist and author of the book Notes on Love. Welcome along to the Life Issues podcast, Lauren. Gosh, thanks for having me. I got really into that. I felt like I was just sitting listening, you know. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, where's Helen going with this? This is so good. Well, <laughs> we want to hear from you because you are the one who has a lot to say on this topic. And um, mm. I want to start on that huge, sometimes unspoken uh, reality of why there is so much emphasis on marriage within the church. As I mentioned in my introduction, if being a Christian means being a follower of Jesus and learning how he lived, Jesus Mm. was single. Yeah. And I think that logically, the vast majority of people who are church leaders and people who go to church would say that they don't see being single as an inferior state. But actually, particularly if you're a single person, you'll pick up on these very subtle ways that we kind of reinforce this idea that that's not the case and that actually we should all be working towards marriage. And that can be in, you know, just the fact that it's often married couples who are on stage and married couples who are given the sort of more senior lay person positions in the church. And it can be married couples who run life groups. In fact, um, a survey of some, this was in America, I have to specify in America, survey of churches found 50% wouldn't let an unmarried person lead one of their sort of midweek home group, life group, Bible study type groups, which, you know, is just outrageous when you think that that means Jesus wouldn't qualify, you know. And But then there's also the celebrating that we do every time there is a life milestone surrounding a change in your relationship status um, in terms of you get engaged and you have a party and you get married and you have a party and then you have an anniversary and you have a party and then you have a kid and you have a christening and a party. And these things are so important. And I'm not saying that we don't take them seriously and we don't celebrate them. But actually, if somebody commits to being single or is single but would prefer not to be, they're actually just not celebrated in the same way. So I think that there's a lot of things that we can do to readdress the balance and to just affirm people whether their time of being single is is for now or whether they've decided that that's them forever. And I'm looking forward to exploring some of your thoughts on what we can do to address this Mm -hmm. and make sure that nobody feels out of place or like they're second rate. But um, can we talk about what the Bible teaches on 
singleness and marriage. You mentioned, I think, a really good point, actually, that being single is often not celebrated in the same way, as you mentioned, understandably, uh, given those Mm. milestones that are. But does the Bible celebrate singleness or marriage? Oh, massively. You know, Jesus affirms singleness and celibacy and not marrying. And he says that it is like a way of you know, you can commit yourself more fully in those circumstances. And then Paul says how good it is to stay single and and how a married person is concerned with with what their partner wants and needs. And actually a single person is able to wholly concern themselves with what God wants and needs. So actually for some some people who decide that they want to be single um, in order to fully commit themselves to their faith, that is an incredible decision and sacrifice for God, you know? And, And I think it really should be given so much more weight. So thinking about what Jesus taught, you know, he said the most important thing we can do is to love God with all our hearts, our mind, our soul, and then to love others as we love ourselves. But that's not always easy, is it, when we've been hurt, living in regrets or just unhappy about ourselves or our circumstances. And I know you address this in your book, Notes on Love, but I think it's important to discuss how we find true love within ourselves. Gosh, yeah. And there's so many different things that have popped into my head whilst you you were saying that. I think, first of all, it's really important to distinguish between romantic love and and other types of love. And our language is so restrictive in that, you know, I could love my husband. I don't have a husband, but if I did, I could love him. But I could also love cheese toasties. And actually what I mean is something very different. And in the context of Jesus saying about loving your neighbor, it's not in a romantic context. And actually you can have, you know, Jesus was fully human and lived a completely fulfilled life but without marriage and presumably without sex then also so actually yes those things are um, beneficial and fruitful for a lot of people and and really incredible you know forms of unity and connection they are not the epitome of love and we can experience that love incredibly different and we can experience that love incredibly deeply with the people around us people in our church community the people in our lives our families or in some cases kind of the the families that we find for ourselves because everyone's got different sort of circumstances and with close friendship. And I think that not enough emphasis is put on that because I I think that you would really struggle as a married person if you stopped investing in the other forms of love around you. You know, I think it would be a bad idea to isolate yourself with your romantic partner um, when there's so much more in terms of the fullness of life and experiencing that love of community. And that's a really important point you've raised we do live in a culture that chases after the love that we know in is eros love that 
passion, mm-hmm. sex, you know, mm-hmm. expressed through sex, love. But as you've said there, there is different types of love that actually we are created to experience. And if we're looking for all from one person, it's probably unlikely to fulfill us. And actually there is that pressure then, isn't there? If you're in a relationship that you're expecting one person to fulfill kind of all these desires, all your kind of happiness. But as we look about, it's not about that, is it? Like back in the day in like... I don't know when I'm talking, 40s, 50s, you were in your area. There wasn't a huge amount of opportunity to travel outside of your area. So you married someone on your street or someone who your family approved of, who shared your um, faith potentially, who was in a good um, position to support you and, and financially you were reasonably equivalent, you know, and stuff like that. And these days, We look for those things. But on top of that, we want them to be our best friend. You know, we want them to to be our other half, to complete us, to make us laugh every day, make us feel sexy and attractive and, and affirm us and boost us in our careers and in our spiritual life. And actually, like, I don't I don't know that person. You know, I I have friends who do all of those things, but not one friend who can do all of those things on their own. Mm. Actually, it's about our expectations. And um, there's this researcher, Barry Schwartz, right, Um, who talks about choice. And the thing is, the more choice you have, and obviously dating apps and you know, you can you can just move church if you haven't met someone you like in your church. You can you can keep your options pretty open these days, particularly with the internet. But the more choice you have, the less satisfied you are with the choice you finally make. So if you were just dating in your town and you and you ended up with a guy from your school, you know, and you probably only had 50 like single men I say only that actually sounds like quite a lot doesn't it okay let's say 20 single men and you've chosen one who you end up marrying you're likely to be really satisfied with that choice but it's this unknown that well second that my partner lets me down or disappoints me or doesn't meet those ridiculously high expectations you think well someone on Tinder or Hinge or Salt or whatever platform you're using to meet people, they could be better. And there's loads of them out there. So I'll keep looking. And that is such a damaging perspective when it comes to like genuine people and genuine connection. These aren't just pictures on a phone or on your laptop. You know, this is this is a real person with real wants and needs and you need to take them in their fullness without wondering if the next person you'd swiped for would have been able to give you more. Mm. It's this fallacy of the right person, isn't it? That there is one person out there for each of us. Well, if you think about the mathematics, that is impossible because you're never going to meet everybody. So how do you know? Uh, and actually, Mine could be in Papua New Guinea and that's it. Game over for me. I think mine is over in Hawaii. So I think, Lord, make a way when I'm just... <laughs> but it's an interesting point you make around language Lauren because Mm -hmm. actually I want to touch upon intentionality which you've definitely addressed there but also the language we use when it comes to our relationships Uh, you know you mentioned 
my other half, uh, my, the right person, uh, you know, and it, and it can be these, this, these words we use can also trap us as well. And for example, my other half, it can sound like we're not fully whole when we're single. Yeah. So that the term my other half came from um, Plato. So way, way, way back. And that's because he developed a theory that we were put on this earth as these kind of four legged, four armed people. And then a God. And I can't remember which God, but this is not my area of theology or like, you know, spiritual study at all but some form of god was supposed to split us in half and then you spend the whole rest of your life roaming the earth trying to find your other half as in the person who you were disconnected from initially i'm going to go out on a limb here and say that that's actually not the case <laughs> that that's ridiculous but why have we kept the term you know we've we've just kind of adopted it even though no one believes that sort of wacky you know mythological scenario so actually when it comes to the people around you you know if you're a single person look around you and provided you're not massively isolated um i reckon there's probably 10 people who you could make an active choice to marry and you can make them the one because you choose to eliminate all others. But any one of those 10 could be the one in inverted commas. And it's just about it's just about like how you invest in that relationship and and your willingness to to adapt and compromise to that person. And there are certain things you should never compromise on. And it's okay to have specific boundaries and requirements, but there are some things you definitely should, like the height of the man or the body shape of the woman or their eye color or their hair color or their job or whether or not they have, you know, they speak a specific language or play a specific instrument. Whereas if somebody is just unmotivated and not willing to work towards a passion, I think it's okay for you not to find somebody along those lines attractive. I think it's okay for you to say, it's a real deal breaker for me that this person shares my faith. And everyone will have different deal breakers. But if you're not sure whether or not yours are reasonable, run them by a few of your friends and see. Because actually, think, often things we think are deal breakers are just like, that would be nice. Mm. But you can very easily live without them when there's somebody who has the kindness and faith and who loves and cares for you and champions you and has passions of their own. To be honest, much beyond that, I'm not really sure, you know, I think you'd be silly to turn someone down with all of those things because of something superficial. Mm. It's interesting, actually, because the culture around us does paint a picture that you should get this relationship that is perfect, ticks all the boxes. But actually, I've never met anyone who has ended up with someone that they probably thought they would when they were single, you know, it's always quite a surprise yeah. I often hear and in a lovely way, yeah. in a good way. And um, one of my friends actually came off of dating apps because he was at dinner with a married couple and they said if they had seen each other's profile just on a screen, they wouldn't have matched with each other. Mm. And he was like, what am I doing here? You know, like I need to actually spend time getting to know the person and give them space in my life to develop and grow and for us to be potentially build a romantic connection. Mm. Well, then let's stick with dating for the moment then, because 
You've talked about the online dating, which is a brilliant resource. I know I've got loads of friends of mine who've met their spouses or dating at the moment through meeting people online. It's a great way to do to intentionally meet people. But it's also yeah. quite tricky as well. Like you've shared then, you know, it can be that we have this expectation. We can be very focused on the look rather than the character. So what is your advice for someone who is dating or maybe would like to be dating, but finding the whole thing a bit of a minefield at the moment? I think um, I'm I'm really pro-dating and I know lots of people sort of don't necessarily agree that the framework by which we date at the moment is is particularly healthy. But I think that the issue isn't with the tools, it's user error. Mm. So I, you know, I really do believe that it's far easier to to like turn around and move like a moving ship, as it were. I think that you need to take action yourself a bit um, and be listening and, and engaging with what feels right for you and what what God says is right for you as well um, within what you're doing. But actually, I think a lot of us are very bad at using dating apps. And I did an interview with Dr. Tila Pronk, who is one of the experts on the Dutch Married at First Sight. And she said something fascinating. She was like, the more that you're looking through these dating sites, the more you get into a rejection mindset. So you're very quick to turn people down. And statistically, you're most likely to match with or to request a match with the first profile you're shown because you're more positive. You're in the right mindset to to sort of engage with that profile and think it through and, and want to connect with them. So she suggested that if you want to do this and you want to do it well, you take a phone or your computer, you look at one profile, you really look at it, you spend three, four minutes looking at the pictures, you know, looking at what you can see around that person, their environment, their lifestyle, what it says about them, reading their answers to the questions. And you really take some time to think about who this person is. And then you decide if you want to suggest a connection, you know, swipe for them or however it is that you contact that person on that platform, or you decide if you don't. And then you put your away or you close the laptop and that's it and that's you done and then maybe a few hours later oh you're you stop for your lunch break or something then you do the same again with one profile and a few hours after that maybe you're on the on the train on the way home and again you open it up and do one profile and she was like that's how you honor the person and what they are offering to you on this app and nobody I know does that. And she's also very insistent not to get too many messages going, anything like that. I think it's really important that we see each person as a potential friend and, you know, like marriage partner or dating partner um, and actually see them as fully human and not as you know, a CV effectively to just flick past, assess, judge and move on from. That is so good. <laughs> oh my <laughs> goodness. You know, when you mm. hear truth and you think I've not, like that makes so much sense to yeah. me in this culture we're living, that is so hard to do. And you mentioned yes. this earlier in terms of investment in relationships but I suppose or intentionality it's the same when we're single isn't it as well having that living with intentionality and being aware yeah. of how our mindless behavior can actually 
when I say mindless, I mean kind of flippant uh, swiping, uh, you know, not, mm-hmm. or not focusing on loving ourselves, how these things can actually be detrimental to the progress we're making as individuals, but also in relationships or the ones that we'd like to have as well. Mm, yeah, totally. I think um, I think that often we're just too casual about the way that we treat other people, both in relationships and in romantic relationships and in other types of relationships. But I just think that that is very much bred from our sort of temporary society, our very like self-centered do what's best for you, live your truth, you know, that kind of thing. When actually, if we if we really sort of prioritise looking outside of ourselves, you know, and everyone talks about boundaries so much, but actually I think often we use the term boundaries as an excuse to put up barriers. You know, we are called to love each other really well and to be very intentional about how we pursue those relationships. And that does mean letting someone tread on your toes every now and again, to be honest. You can't be in community or be in a relationship without that person crossing your boundaries. And it doesn't mean everyone should, you know, but that's that's kind of it. And I think if you expect, you know, when you live with a partner that your boundaries will be totally respected, then you're sorely mistaken. And I think for single people, it's so important to live in community. And that means giving up some of your space, some of your me time, some of your your plans in the same way that you would do if you had a child or a partner. And hopefully that would be reciprocated from the other people in your community as well. You are just bringing me so many nuggets of knowledge that I had never thought about. Boundaries can be barriers. That's so interesting because we are learning. I feel like as a 30-something, I am learning more about boundaries than I maybe realised when I was younger that's so important. But you're right. If we don't actually let people in, we don't. We aren't able to have those um intimate relationships and all varying different degrees of intimacy of course and like you say boundaries are important and healthy but it's made me think as well about trust and when we've been hurt we've had our trust broken I remember hearing someone share the only way to rebuild trust is forgiveness and maybe it's not having a relationship with that person for example but maybe going into a new relationship whether it's a friendship a a spouse a potential spouse it's by trusting them again it's literally like a muscle that needs to be used to grow again it's not something that just happens yeah I totally agree I think um not everyone has been cheated on you know that's quite an extreme way of breaking someone's trust but people's trust is broken all the time you know like I'll say something to a friend and assume that they know that I don't want it passed on and no one's being malicious you know but actually it's just often a a product of, of poor communication or someone just being a bit thoughtless but you can't take every time someone breaks your trust as an excuse not to be vulnerable and in terms of dating 
the the only way to win is to take off armor you can't go into it like it's a battle you know you you do need to have those boundaries i like have a bit of armor on initially there's no need to give everyone all of your emotional mental physical intimacy straight away in fact that is incredibly ill advised but in time and with increasing commitment yeah you are going to have to do that and that is terrifying for somebody who has seen another person whether that be in a romantic context or you know maybe through family or through friends you know we can't always choose how other people treat us and if you've seen that stuff hurt before when it's been done badly then it's it is just horrific the idea of allowing yourself to do it again but that's that is the nature. It's the price of, of intimacy and of commitment mm. is that you have to give the person the chance to break your trust. And if, if somebody's not in the place to do that, I mean, from where I'm at in my life, I really feel like God can, God can get you there. And that is purely prayer thing. And to confide in somebody who you're accountable to, who you, who cares about you, who's on your team as well. Um, but that's it really, because I think it's very hard to get that back just sort of through your own willpower. You are listening to the Life Issues podcast from UCB. My guest this week is Lauren Windle, journalist and author of the book Notes on Love. I want to pick up on something you mentioned there um, around your faith uh, and mm. how God has helped you and is an important part of being single, about being in a relationship and I'm just thinking of someone who maybe has faith or doesn't have faith is wanting to be in a relationship but aware that they want to be content in their singleness right now uh, and maybe are exploring that grace that God's love um, but not feeling it yeah what's your advice for them yeah, I think um, if you're a person who is single but would prefer not to be and have explored sort of dating options and things haven't worked out for various reasons, or perhaps you've experienced something like divorce or the breakdown of a marriage, it can feel very isolating. You can feel really alone, particularly um, if you're a person of faith who's in a church where consciously or subconsciously they do seem to be prioritizing the married couples, that is a really hard place to be in and often not acknowledged as well, you know, by the wider church community. But actually, I realized when I was researching for the book that for some people, the fact that they are still single after years of praying and dating and hoping um, is the gr single greatest disappointment in their life, you know, and it's it's just crazy that we can we can feel that so keenly, but often not have anyone stand from the front of a church and acknowledge the pain of that. And I would say that if it's something you want, if it's like a deep desire for you, um, that's okay. That's not embarrassing. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. And actually someone said something to me recently, which I found really helpful, but may not be to somebody listening, but we'll try. And that's I, I kept thinking, you know, because I'd go through waves where I was totally fine being single. And I was like, gosh, I wonder how I'd even incorporate someone into this lovely life I've got. And then times where I'm like, I can't believe I'm doing this on my own. I am so upset that I don't have a partner 
to join me in this experience or in this moment or facing this difficulty. And I can kind of swing between the two. And um, this person, very wise person said to me, like, you can't will yourself to just be consistently okay with being single. You know, it's, it's all right that to a certain extent that disappointment's just going to be there, you know, and it's not a case of necessarily fighting it or pushing against it. And it doesn't make you a bad person or a bad Christian or a desperate person because you feel it. It's just there, Mm. you know? And, and I, I have found that lament the sort of, spiritual prayer practice of lament has been really helpful. And that is the practice of rather than saying to God, like, this is where I'm at. I'm really sad. Pull me out of it. You know, save me, pull me out. It's like saying, God, I'm really sad. I'm really disappointed. This really hurts. Come and sit with me within it. Mm. And that doesn't mean that you get the solution that you're looking for, at least, you know, to that prayer but it does mean that you don't feel alone and i think we have to allow ourselves to acknowledge and experience the difficulty when it feels hard but then also to just absolutely love the moments when it doesn't Mm. and my hope is that people do have those moments and they're not just sort of really plunged into the depths of sadness about it Mm. It's and that's an interesting thought. Um, bringing back in, I suppose, what we were talking about language. I've learned recently mm-hmm. that we can use the word "but," whereas actually, it'd be more helpful to use the word "and." For example, I am disappointed, but I'm hopeful. Whereas it can be, I am disappointed, and I am hopeful that this won't remain yeah. as it is. Or I was thinking about my brother's just moved to the other side of the world, and I'm sad, mm-hmm. and I'm excited for him rather than it can discount what you're feeling you can feel like I shouldn't feel sad because is it you know it's exciting but actually we are shades of many different colors aren't we rather than black and white as humans so even how we talk uh, about it can really affect how we feel and how we perceive our lives as well massively yeah I think that's totally the case and it's it's okay to feel those contradictory moments. And I think anyone who has suffered a bereavement or someone very close to them passing away will say that happiness and sadness come hand in hand. You know, there's the two are not mutually exclusive. And I feel like a lot of us got taught that by Disney's movie <laughs> Inside Out. Yeah. But actually, it's, it's so true. You know, often the most exciting, the most incredible moments, a friend just got married um, this year, but sadly, her brother passed away um, two years ago. But actually, that was that moment was so poignant because of both of those things, not in spite of the sadness, Mm. you know? And I think that we can really push for what we call positive emotions, Mm. you know, happiness, joy, peace, you know, sort of a feeling of pleasure when actually there's no bad emotions. There's just emotions and then ill-advised ways to respond to them. And actually like feeling sad or, or even angry or disappointed, you know, it's, that's not a bad emotion. It's something you're feeling and it's okay to feel it, but, and it's okay to also feel other emotions in with it. And it's a case of just acknowledging it. And, and that's it really. So what about for someone listening then who is single 
hopeful mm-hmm. that one day they will be married. But all around them, it feels like everybody is married, having children, living that mm-hmm. life that they so desire. How do they well, grapple with my diary? <laughs> <laughs> so how do you grapple with that sense of, like you say, there's no such thing as bad emotions just emotions but ill-advised ways to respond to them but what if we're starting to get jealous or envious or resentful to people that we love because they've got things that we want yeah that can so easily happen and also you can kind of hate yourself for it as well Mm. because you know that you that this is good and that you want to be happy for that person and you want good things for your friend or your colleague or whoever it is but actually while you don't have those good things and they have them it can feel very difficult to celebrate with them and the bible says you know celebrate with those who celebrate and grieve with those who grieve and i've paraphrased that which is you know depending on your translation it's very definitely not exactly those words but that's the sentiment um And actually, I find it very easy to grieve with those who grieve, but sometimes the celebrating is really tough. And what I do in those circumstances is I acknowledge it, you know, and often I think that we can't be held super responsible for our first thought, but we can for our second. So my first thought may be, oh, great, another engagement announcement. But my second thought should be, this is good. This is a God-ordained union. This is momentous. This is the start of hopefully a happy family. And and something else that really helps as well is like, and I shouldn't say this helps because it's mean, but actually marriage is not easy. It's not like someone is done struggling with their romantic life the moment they get engaged or the moment they, you know, say I do at the end of the aisle. There are some serious challenges and particularly for people who feel that they may have married the wrong person. That is not an enviable position. And there's lots to love about marriage for sure. But ultimately, they... Being married and being single are two equal states. And when you move from one to the other in whichever direction, you are sacrificing certain blessings and you are taking on certain burdens. But you will also get the blessings of, of that new situation as well. But one is not better than the other, even if it can feel that way, particularly, you know, looking at pictures on Instagram and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad you brought that up because... I want to make sure we're clear this conversation that we're not demonising marriage. I mean, I had an epiphany uh, a few years back, uh, which I think you'll appreciate, Lauren. Um, I was, I'd just been back from Australia. Um, I was living with my parents. They very kindly let me live there while I was kind of working out what was the next step. Mm -hmm. And um, my parents had become foster carers, which we were all part of as our family. And I remember... Uh, I was helping my mum. I was cleaning the kitchen. She was paying me some pocket money. I was was out of work. And she was on the phone to my dad. She was cooking dinner for that evening. My dad was out at work and they were talking about something fairly standard. I think it was about something to do with the foster children. And they said, okay, all right, bye, love you. And in that moment, I had this realisation that's what love is when it comes to marriage. This strong foundation supporting Mm. each other 
a force mm. for good that God can mm. do great work on. And the fairy tale that it's, you know, all about the two of us is a lie, mm. you know. Actually, what God's, what I understand through my faith journey and through my parents teaching me is it isn't easy to be married, as you say. It takes intentionality. But actually, when mm. you trust, when you want to work for good, when you love each other and when you look mm. up and look out, God really wants to use marriages mm. to benefit society to benefit single people and I have to caveat that story with it's important to make sure as a couple I know to spend time together to date one another but yes. I think that that's not something that many people are taught that marriage isn't just about you two a hundred percent and actually I think that you know marriage just broadens each person's shoulders so they can carry more for God effectively. You know, that's where marriage is working well. It's a firmer foundation on which, you know, that couple can raise children in the church, hopefully, or they can, you know, take on various different things like fostering, which is absolutely incredible. And I truly believe that marriage is under attack you know i feel like the sort of stable and reliable home is you know it is crumbling in our society and i think that single people and married people have an obligation to support it and champion it and respect it and pray for it um, and pray for married friends as much as possible um, because when it's done right it is absolutely spectacular but so's being single if it's done right mm. you know and and we need to be recognizing both states, supporting people in both states, not being jealous as much as is possible um, and just working together in community to make sure that we really are surrounded by a diverse and mixed group of people in different relationship stages of different ages from different cultures from different backgrounds so that we can keep learning from them and we can understand more of their trials and challenges and we can be praying for and supporting each other. So looping back round to where we began this conversation on singleness and how sometimes within the church it is seen as a secondary state compared to those who are married. Um, even though churches will teach that our worth is found in God, as you mentioned, sometimes it can be that only married people are given roles at the front or in leadership. And we often celebrate relationship status milestones more so than singleness, which feeds into this whole kind of hurt around it. How can we then, Lauren, start getting it right as a church, as a community? And I know you touched on this already, but it's the importance of community. Yeah, do you know what? It really is. And the thing is that somebody should be able to choose to stay single and not be facing a lifetime of loneliness. And at the moment, I'm not convinced that I could promise that to myself, you know, or anyone if they said, oh, this is what I'm looking for. You know, I think actually that I would be more fulfilled in life if I chose not to marry, but I'm just terrified that I will spend my nights on my own. Actually, we can design community in a way 
that somebody can be single but never lonely. And for me, it's so important for me to be able to like go to a family home. And my sister lives a few roads away from me and there's a sofa where I can just rock up and I can open the fridge and there's always people there and I'm always welcome. And that's really important. And actually, if more families thought to themselves, okay, who is there on my street or in my church community or somewhere who, who just doesn't have that open invitation, who doesn't have a key to someone's house, you know, I think that that's really important. And, and for a couple or for a family to open their home to single people more, I think would make all the difference. Like I was reading some research and a friend of mine was talking to me the other day um, and he said that, suddenly when he got engaged to his partner, he got invited around to every couple's house for dinner, but he just needed that invite so much more before he was in a relationship and it didn't come. And the thing I think is really important for those in a position to host, for those in a position to open their homes is to acknowledge that there is a difference between hospitality and entertaining. And entertaining is taking someone's coat, planning a meal in advance, you know, maybe maybe serving some crisps and dip before you sit down. Whereas hosting is someone rocking up, you being like, oh yeah, it's pasta bake. We've got a bit extra for you. It's actually just from last night, so we'll heat it up. You know, you know, letting them put their own dish in the dishwasher, letting them just crash on the sofa with whatever film you're watching and treating them like they are part of the family. And people almost think that that's rude, but it is so kind. Honestly, I think that you would reduce a single person to tears if you just let them in to that extent, rather than only, you know, once a year when you've you dug out the best china, you know, mm. people want to feel a part of, and that is something so many of us have the opportunity to invite people into. That's so good. We are purpose-driven people, aren't we? Enabling one another to thrive. So, I mean, I am gutted that this is our conversation is coming to an end, Lauren. Uh, author oh, of... Oh, I've no, got so, so much more. I can't believe it. There's so much more to unpack, but I want to get your final thought. Um, a message for someone who is listening, who wants to be in a relationship, but is single and wanting to actually be okay with that right now, even though the desire is maybe to not, to one day be in that relationship, the desire. I think don't beat yourself up if you just don't feel okay, because that's actually okay as well. And God gives us these desires, you know, because they're important, because connection and community is important. But do your very best to actually enjoy this time. Because if you're, you know, 80 years old or 96, like, like the queen, you know, and you look back at your life and you were never married, but you spent all of your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s feeling desperately sad about that, not doing things like, oh, I won't, I won't put that picture up on the wall because, you know, I, I, or I won't buy that furniture because I'll wait until I get my forever home with my partner or I won't go to on holiday there because that's more of a couple's place. Just live your life. Don't hold anything back while you're waiting for a partner because you'll really regret it later. And also, if at 96 you look back and you were married in the end, you'd still regret not living this time to the fullest because the moment you get married, you'll realize that there were some real perks 
that you kind of just pushed to the back burner because you were so focused on what you didn't have and you didn't look at what you did. So the the time, the flexibility, the increased income when you're not supporting children, you know, all of those things and many, many more are incredible gifts. So appreciate the joy of this stage as much as you possibly can, because if it lasts forever, you'll regret that you didn't enjoy it. And if it doesn't last forever, you'll regret that you didn't enjoy it. Some great advice for all of us, whatever our relationship status is. Today is a gift, isn't it? There'll never be another day like this ever again. And when we live with that intentionality, with that sense of celebration, giving, I suppose, God thanks is another way I've learnt to enjoy my life more even in those times of feeling like it's not as I hoped you can see the good all around well Lauren Windle journalist and author of the book Notes on Love which I highly recommend having a read it is hilarious Uh, it's been such a pleasure thank you so much for joining us on the Life Issues podcast my name is Helen Price and a huge thanks to Rebecca Smith who helped produce this week's episode of Life Issues